So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me uh, to Mark's Gospel, please. Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. And what I think I'll do is, just for time's sake, instead of reading a whole portion of Scripture, we're going to read some, and then when we read that portion of Scripture, we'll see what the Lord lays on our heart for that then, okay? So Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. The background here is the Lord Jesus has been crucified. He's on the cross, and there's a scene around him. And really, I give this a title, What the Enemy Thought for Evil. God meant for good. What the enemy thought for evil, God meant for good. And this actually goes right down through into our Christian experience, to our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been going through a hard time. We've all been going through a difficult time, I think, no matter who we are. But maybe you've been going through a hard time and you think, well, the old enemy is attacking me and so on. Listen, what the enemy means for evil, God always works for the good. You know, Romans 8 and 28 tells us that and all things God works for the good to those that love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so God will always turn it around for you. God will always bring you through it. God will always strengthen you in it. God will give you the grace and he will give you the ability to carry on in these circumstances. And why I called it the, what the enemy thought for evil, God meant for the good. That is this tonight is because the enemies of Christ had crucified him. And they thought that they had crucified this man who was a, a, some sort of renegade. And here they're around the cross mocking him and jeering at him. And all sorts are happening. And let alone what had happened just in Jerusalem with the beatings and the scourgings and, and all of that. But now he's, he's nailed hand and foot to the cross. And they think they have him. But yet I want you to see how he turns these things for the good. How what he did, listen, not too many years ago, the Pope said that the cross of Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, he actually said it was a failure. But I want to tell you something. When Christ died on the cross, it was a victory. It was not a failure. He came to die on the cross. He came to, sh to give his life. He came to shed his own precious blood that you and I might be redeemed. So this is not a failure we're on here tonight. We're in victory and we're standing at a point of victory when we're in Christ. So when we look at Mark 15, for example, in verse 30 and 31 says, They're crying unto him, shouting at him, saying, Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. So here's some of the points we're going to look at for a few moments. Here's some of the points that we're going to look at. First of all, we're going to look at salvation. Salvation. And secondly, then we want to look at propitiation. And I believe that my phone was around the wrong way. Thank you, Ali came and turned it for me. Uh, propitiation. And then we have, thirdly, separation. And then if we have time, we're going to look at reconciliation. And then if we have time, we are going to look at revelation and then proclamation. There's a lot there, isn't there? But let's see how far we get this evening without making this a great big massive marathon. So he's on the cross. They're saying, save thyself and come down from the cross. Here's salvation. 
And what I mean by that, well, for example, what the enemy has meant for evil here, God's working for the good. The enemy thought they would crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be the end of him. That would be the end of all the talk of this man and all the crowds that would have followed him. It would have been the end of all of these things. But little did they know that they were crucifying the Lord of glory. They were crucifying the Lamb of God who would come and give his life for his sheep. Now notice here, save thyself and come down from the cross. So first point we'll look at is salvation. Verse 31, likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others himself, he cannot save. Notice here the chief priests and the scribes. Now the Lord Jesus said about these people, these Jewish leaders, uh, uh, these Jewish thinkers at the time, these Jewish theologians at this time, they were actually, um, they were worshipping what they thought was God, as in Jehovah, Yahweh God, but really they weren't worshipping him at all. It wasn't Hebraic worship, but really it was Talmudic religion that they had brought in. And they had mongrelized and mixed this in. And so the temple was going to be finished. The temple worship, the temple sacrifice, and the Lamb of God, the Lamb of all lambs, was going to come and die on the cross. Finish all of that. But here's what I want you to see, what I want you to notice here. There's a little telltale sign of the mentality of these men. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking said among themselves and the scribes. Do you know that the, the way that this is written in the original Greek text, it gives the idea that these uh, elders, these Jewish elders and these scribes, these people who have high intelligence, they were mocking, speaking among themselves, and it gives the idea they were acting like stupid, silly school children. You know, I, I was a little bit perturbed just yesterday. Uh, an old friend from when I, before I was saved and in the world, an old friend just happened to come up on social media. I haven't spoken to him in years and haven't even had any contact with him in years. And there he had put up an atheist's uh, group uh, meme. And there it was, and it was a, a group of people standing around a, a, an open grave where someone was about to be lowered and to be buried. And on it, it's, it was a, a laughing and it was mocking, saying, so where is your God who you prayed to and whom you trusted in now? Something along those lines. I was perturbed by that. I was disturbed and I was offended by that. I was offended at my friend even doing that. But at the same time, it made me think of this. It made me think of these Pharisees and these elders, these chief priests and these scribes thinking they're so intelligent. And that's the world's intelligentsia who do not know Christ. You see, it's not in our intelligence we come to know Christ, but it's through him giving us the ability, the quickening of his spirit, to open our blinded eyes, to be able to see the Lamb of God. First of all, to see ourselves as sinners, as sinners, and needing a saviour, and recognising Christ, the Lord Jesus, is the only saviour. And the thing about it was, Jesus called these people who were Pharisees and at the time, he called them a brood of vipers. He called them serpents and snakes. And he says, you're off your father, the devil. Any wonder that they did not like him. And now they think they're getting their own back, nailing them to the tree, telling the Romans to crucify him. And what are they doing? They're not getting their own back. They're actually nailing their death knell to the cross. And you see, whenever I seen that with my friend, it was, a, it was a disturbing because they were doing something similar. And yet we will all die. And little do they know 
do they not realize that we say, those of us, you and I, all of us, in Adam's race, all of us, that we are sinners in our nature, that the wages of sin is death. Like that picture, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And they've, they've laughed at this and mocked at this as if our faith is in vain, that our prayers are not heard and are never answered. But I want to tell you something, brother, sister. I have been to many, as a pastor, I have been to many, many, many bedsides where people have been launched out, as it were, into eternity. Some unsaved and others saved. And I can tell you, friend, brother, sister, you take heart and you have hope in this because whenever a believer dies compared to an unbeliever dies, and I've seen it with my own eyes many times, it's like chalk and cheese. It's two different things. The believer you see goes in and he dies getting into the presence of the Lord. But the unbeliever, the unbeliever has no hope nor rest for his soul, her soul. And yet they have mocked God, spat toward heaven. And we'll find, brothers and sisters, that at this point, we find that these men in Mark 15, these Jews who had surrounded, these leaders of the Jewish people, and they led some of the people wrong because they were going through the crowd shouting for his crucifixion. And here we're finding that there are those who are leading people astray, leading people wrong, and they're shouting, as it were, for the crucifixion of Christ. Or if you want, they're shouting for the, the destruction of those who believe in Christ. Look at our nation today. Look at our lands today. Look at our covenant nations. Look at Britain and uh, the UK and Ireland. Look at America, Australia, South Africa. We can go on New Zealand, Canada. You look at Europe today. You look at all of these. And what do you find and what do you see? But you see a mass movement falling away from God. For even in government, they want nothing to do with the salvation of the Lord. They hate him. They hate his gospel. And they certainly hate his people. We find that there's so much happening that we, we need to stare around the cross and see what the enemy, here's, here's the difference, what the enemy thought for evil, God has meant it for the good. Do you know in this time of, of virus, COVID-19 and all this stuff that's happening, do you know what, what I've seen? I've seen some people harden further to God, but I've seen God opening the hearts of others. And it's been, a, it's been like a reaping in. There's a little harvest that's coming. And I believe if we pray into this, there could be a bigger one. Even speaking about the drive-in earlier on, how we couldn't be in the drive-in today because of the snow and so on. You know, even speaking about those things, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. We have seen more people saved at the drive-in over the last lot of weeks. Us taking ourselves out. We have seen more people coming to saving faith in Christ. And going on with God than we had in some time in, in the church building. Now, I love the building. I want to be there and we intend to be there again. But I'm just showing you how the, there's a difference here. What God is using this time to reap a harvest, to bring people along, to waken them up to himself. Notice here in Mark 15, it says in verse 31 that the chief priests mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others himself, he cannot save. The idea is they acted like stupid, silly children. Like stupid, silly children. And that's what it's like when we see those who try to mock the gospel. 
when we see those who try to mock the Lord Jesus Christ, when we see those who try to mock the power of the blood and the power of the Spirit of God, we see them as stupid, silly children. But really, and I'm not trying to be offensive in that, but we see them and look at them just as dead men and dead women walking. Oh, pray for their souls. Pray for their regeneration. Pray for them that they'll come to saving faith in Christ. Notice here, I want to look at this for a moment, the salvation. Save yourself, they say to the Lord Jesus. Come down from the cross. Save yourself. Now, if he had have come down from the cross, we know you and I would never have been saved. You and I would have died without Christ. You and I would have never been forgiven of our sins. And you and I would have been in deep, dire trouble. But I want you to see something here. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 49, please. Just a few moments to, the, to, to read. One little verse, but there's something I want to point out to you. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 49. Here is old Jacob. And what is Jacob doing? Jacob is here and he's praying a blessing. A blessing over the sons, his sons, or the patriarchs or the fathers of Israel. Now, when you start reading from chapter 49, verse 3, he starts with Reuben, the firstborn. Notice he starts with Reuben and he goes right down, the whole way down through until he gets, we get to verse 17 and he's at Dan. And when he's at Dan, all of a sudden, he's not finished. I think here he's about seven of them read out, seven sons that he's blessed and as he's blessed seven sons here, we look at it and we see that in verse 18, he explodes right out of the blessing into prophecy. He explodes right out. And it's like all of a sudden the curtains come back and the light just shines right through. It's as though the curtains come back among the Israel forefathers and all of our blessings here. And suddenly the curtains of heaven are pulled back. And Jacob goes into a further sense of prophecy for one little verse. And it's as though he comes back into it again and he starts prophesying on. And he starts again with God, a troop shall overcome him. And so on right down to Benjamin in verse 27. Here is the little prophecy. This is what he says. Verse 18. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Here he's blessing and he's blessing and he's blessing his sons. And he gets down to, my memory serves me right, there's seven at this point. Suddenly he stops. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Now here's something I want to show you. The term here for Lord is the tetragrammaton, which would be the Y-H-W-H, or what is termed as Yahweh. I have waited for, waited for thy salvation, Oh, Yahweh. Now, I want you to catch this. Now, the word salvation here is the word Yeshua. Yeshua. I have waited for thy Yeshua, O Yahweh. I have waited for thy Yeshua. Now, if you haven't caught it yet, Yeshua is the Hebrew term of where we then derive the word down to Jesus. Jesus in the Greek to Jesus in the English. So Jesus is salvation. So we find here right at the blessing that out of it all, he goes, Jacob Israel blesses his son, stops about number seven. 
Here he goes right into, I have waited for thy Jesus, O Yahweh. And then he goes back into the blessings again, starting with God right down to Benjamin. So the curtain has been pulled open. I want you to stay with me in this thought. Because salvation is abstract. In other words, being abstract, uh, a term may may be given it, that which has no material existence or bodily form. Abstract, so salvation is abstract, and salvation can only be seen by something that takes on a body. For example, let me take you, if you will, to Exodus 14. And I'm sure we know it where Israel are at the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are coming behind them, and the sea is before them, and there seems as there's no way out here. And the Lord, of course, tells Moses to stretch his staff over the sea, and the sea begins to open. Notice what it says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, he tells Israel. Stand still and see, he says, the salvation. The word salvation is the exact same Hebrew word that Jacob Israel used in the blessings of his son. I have waited for thy salvation. I have waited for thy Yahshua, O Yahweh. In other words here, the Lord Lord tells Moses, Moses says to Israel, stand still and see the Yahshua of Yahweh or of the Lord. Notice here, so salvation is seen when the sea parts. There's their salvation. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. Glory to God. Isn't that fantastic? So when the sea is opened with the great wind, there we see physically embodied by the sea opening, the walls of the sea, the salvation of the Lord. And Israel passes through the sea and baptized into Moses and under the cloud as it said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 but notice here notice something here else in Exodus 15 in Exodus 15 this is as they get through the other side they all come over on dry ground and they're over the other side listen to what they sing in Exodus 15 and 2 the Lord is my strength and my song he, that is the Lord, is become my salvation. The exact same Hebrew word. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my Yeshua. That's what they're singing in the Old Testament. That's what they're singing away back. Israel are saying, Yeshua is my savior. Yeshua is my redeemer. Yeshua is my Lord. Yeshua is my king. Yeshua, we can see, brought us through. And the way it could be seen is by the wind blowing, the sea parting, and out the other side they're given thanks for this manifestation of the invisible God in salvation. Notice the manifestation of the invisible God in salvation. So they're already through the Red Sea and they see that. Will you go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32? Deuteronomy 32 for just a couple of verses and then we'll move on from this point of salvation. Deuteronomy 32, please. Verse 15. Notice what it says, but Jeshurun waxed fat. That's actually another name for Israel, by the way, Jeshurun. Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxing fat, thou art growing thick. 
Thou art covered with fatness. Notice, then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Notice here, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying you have worshipped, you have sacrificed, you have allowed into you, Israel, you have allowed gods that your fathers didn't even know. I can't help but see our nation here. I can't help but see what's going on around me. I can't help but see where now that everything our fathers knew, the gods that our father, the God, pardon me, that our father served, they're now worshipping other gods, small g, not gods at all. They're allowing demonic forces to run the parliament and the government. They're allowing things to happen. They're allowing the abortion of the little one, the sacrificing, as it were, where they sacrifice their babies onto the Canaanite god Molech. Did you know that just, uh, I think it's this week, that in, in Rome and the Vatican of all places, they have now set up a Canaanite statue of the god Molech. Did you realize that? You can go and search it out. Notice here, these things are happening all around us. And our eyes are being taken off the one true living God, the one Saviour, and he is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is none other, and there is none else. We trust in none other, and he is our rock. He's our Saviour, he's our Redeemer. Notice here in verse 13 it says, They forsook God, which made him, and highly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Notice, they forsook God and lightly, pardon me, esteemed. It's not what's happening. People lightly esteem. Remember our little province, remember Northern Ireland especially, when the south of Ireland were in the grip of the Roman church. Remember when all others were, were looking at us as if we are, and they still do as if we're some sort of backwater. We held tight to the gospel. Men and women preached in the streets. Uh, they went around witnessing for Christ. Every little mission hall was filled. The, the church, as it were, was always centered in Christ and, and focused on the gospel. Do you notice how now a lot, of them, a, a lot of the mission halls are now closed or there's just a handful in them? Do you notice how now that there's so much infighting and one Christian one to tear the throat out of another Christian? And have you ever noticed now how they get to the place and the point where it's you and your small corner, as it were, and I and mine, instead of laboring co-workers together in the Lord, those of us are blood-bought and blood-washed, and Sunday schools are, are dwindling and, and children's meetings. And I thank the Lord for our youth and our children's meetings we have in CET. And all our laborers and the hard workers there who faithfully uh, go and, and really work hard there to try and reach the kids with the gospel. But our nation has become like us. Our nation has forsaken the Lord. We have forsook him. We have walked away from him. And now we are in a, a post-Christian if, as it were, a post-Christian nation. And it's getting even worse. It's becoming a mongrelized nation. 
of every multicultural idea, every thought, and every God small g of the heathen that's brought into our lands with temples and mosques and all sorts of places of worship set up that were never seen or heard of and calling through the streets on loudspeakers and, and people are saying nothing about it. And the Christian church is, is, is too busy looking at everything else. And the people of our nation and our land are too busy looking for other gods. Notice this. As I said, it says, we have forsaken the rock, or lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. In Luke chapter 2, in Luke chapter 2, we have Simeon in the temple. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. This doesn't mean a second prize, by the way. He's waiting for the Messiah. He's waiting for those who prophesied to him, give all the prophets witness, said Peter. And he's waiting for the, the prophesied Messiah to come. Here he's in the temple in Jerusalem, carried in as a baby. And as he sees him, and I'm, pro, I, I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. As he sees the Christ child, he says, now let, thy, let, now let thy servant depart in peace. He's praying, he's saying unto the Lord, for mine eyes have seen. Notice, he says, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Mine eyes have seen Yahshua. Mine eyes have seen the embodiment of salvation. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. By the way, the word here now, because it's in the New Testament, it's in the, it's in the, the Greek text, and it's the word for salvation is soterios. It's where you get soteriology, uh, the doctrine of saving and salvation. And listen, I jotted it down. This is what it means. Soterios means bringing salvation, one or he who embodies salvation, or one or he who through him is about to achieve it. So when Simeon was in the temple and he seen the Lord Jesus Christ, the consolation was all of this Talmudic, mongrelized mixture of an abomination in the temple that was happening, where Jesus says you're a brood of vipers to them, where he says you're off a father the devil and the lusts of your father you will do. This man is waiting and waiting, hoping and praying for the consolation of Israel and Christ is brought into the, into the temple. And there he says, now I can depart in peace. Now I can die in peace. Because God brought his word to pass. Listen, and the enemies of God who were in the temple, the enemies who turned the temple into a den of thieves, the enemies of God who were in that temple, they are there and we're told that, that when Jesus came, he told them not one stone would be left upon another on this temple. And in AD 70, the temple was torn down when Titus, the Roman general, came. And sacked Israel. Pardon me, sacked Jerusalem. Notice here, here he sees the salvation. This Christ child, this Messiah, this Yahshua, this one who is God. In the beginning was the Word. There he is. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. 
as the only glory of the Father. Notice, oh, he, here he is, this baby, God contracting as a, to a span, as Spurgeon says. And he didn't know how it happened, and neither do I. For great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Notice here, we see here how that Simeon had seen him. Now this is the one. This is the one whom they took and they brutalized and they whipped and they had beaten and they had nailed hand and foot. They had nailed him to the cross. Now they're saying, save thyself and come down. Notice verse 31. Likewise also the chief priests mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others himself he cannot save. Thank the Lord and praise his holy, righteous, mighty, beautiful name that he did not come down of the cross because that still be lost. And I am the, uh, the chiefest of sinners. But he's stead on that cross. He bore my sin and yours. Our law-breaking, the law-breaking of God, the very depraved nature that we had, there our death was that's in us was taken and placed upon him, and he bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin, we had no idea that we were sinning. Listen, I chose God. How could a dead man choose anything? How could a dead woman choose anything? He chose us. He came for us. He came from heaven and he sought us. He sought us as lost sheep that were going astray. And we praise him. Now he says, save yourself. See, the enemy, they thought it for evil, but God meant it for their good. They're saying, nail him to the tree. Let's see how you do now, Jesus. And Jesus hung in that tree. It's like, as I said, those those uh, that friend of mine who took that post in the social media from an atheist group mocking uh, the faith that's in Christ. You know, I, when I seen it, I was grieved by it. But here's the thing. They mean it for evil. But God will always turn it for the good. And the things that happen in your life and my life, maybe the enemy, the old devil, will mean it, think it for the evil. But God will always turn it for the good. I believe, brother, sister, friend, I believe with all of my heart that right at this moment, that this very second as you're listening here and I'm speaking to you, I believe with all of my heart this one thing, that he is still sovereign and he has never surrendered his authority and he still, in every inch he treads upon, claims it, he says, is mine. He's God, a very God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's move on, shall we? Notice verse 32. See, it says above him, the king of the Jews. And they didn't want that, but they changed it here. It says, let the king of Israel, notice, descend now from the cross. He is the king of Israel. We know that. We believe that with all of our hearts. And notice, he's your king and he's mine. And they're changing it because it did say the king of the Jews. But why did they not say that? Because they were claiming him king of Israel. They're giving him this wider scope of a title. Notice this. Let him descend now from the cross that we might see and believe. That they and they that were crucified with him, notice here's the reviling, they reviled him. Now I want to look at propitiation for a few moments, and we find it in verse 33. 
And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour would be roughly our 12 noon till 3 noon. That's the, the three hours. There was darkness over the whole land. Now, I want to tell you there, that's propitiation. Propitiation. And, and how do I mean that? Well, first of all, it really gives the idea that's our mercy seat. Like in the Ark of the Covenant, when the priest carried on their shoulders and they laid it in the Holy of Holies, and there was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the golden box, and the two cherubim wings, angels' wings, touching one another this way. And they were looking down in, as it were, on the lid of that. They're looking on mercy. Remember, the angels that, the angels that left their first estate found no mercy. But you and I of, of Adam, we find mercy. You and I, we find mercy in Christ and in God. And they're looking because they don't understand this great salvation that we have. And now they're looking down on this mercy seat. And there the high priest would have sprinkled the blood. So there's the glory of God comes down. And here's the, the, the high priest of Israel, the breastplate of judgment and the stones for the 12 tribes. And the only thing that stopped him being, um, being destroyed, as it were, was the blood on the mercy seat. Are you glad for the blood? Are you glad for the blood of Jesus? Are you glad that you found mercy at the cross? Are you glad? Do you rejoice tonight, Christian, that Christ has paid your debt in full? And there the blood was shed that instead of you and I being consumed and standing in judgment and standing in our sin and being judged righteously for that, that you and I will not stand there as believers, but rather Jesus has paid our debt. He's paid it in full and that we are born of the spirit and washed in the blood and we're waiting for his return and you know when he comes again should we die and sleep in christ or, or whether we are yet alive as paul says when he comes our bodies we're going to have a new body there's going to be no aches and no pains no headaches and no heartaches there's not going to be any cancers there's not going to be any viruses there's not going to be any diseases there's not going to be any pains there's not going to be any troubles and sorrows for us. There's not going to be any testings and trials and temptations. There's not going to be anything to hinder you nor to harm you. But rather, it's going to be his glory and you and I will be in it and share it with him. That's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a mighty thing and it's a precious thing. Here's something I want you to see. Propitiation. So Jesus is on the cross. And on the cross... The sky turns black, dark as night. And it's in the sixth hour, which would be about our 12 noon until the ninth, which would be about our three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, there was a man called Feligon. And Feligon wa was from a place called Trales. He was a, a, a Greek um, secular historian. And he wrote about, um, he wrote a book called The Olympiads the Olympiads. And what it is, it's a time scale and that's used in other things, but what he's saying is it was used in a time scale of four years. And he called it the time scale of the Olympiads. That's how you and I get our, our, our the word today, Olympics from. And how often are the Olympics held every four years? So here's the Olympiads and it's every four years. Now I have jotted it down in a little piece of paper here. What he wrote this is now, he's a, a Greek scholar, or pardon me, a Greek historian. He's not a Christian. 
He wasn't a, a Jew and he wasn't anything else at the time. He was a secular writer of the time. Listen to what he says. He writes, in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was an extraordinary eclipse of the sun. And notice at the sixth hour, the day turned into dark night. So that the stars in heaven were seen, there was an earthquake. What does the Bible tell us? That the sky turned black at the sixth hour? And the sixth hour here, he actually likens this, or he represents this at around AD 30. And he's saying that this was at the crucifixion of Christ. Sky turned black, he called it an eclipse of the sun. But there was an earthquake, we're told, at his crucifixion there was a great earthquake. Shows you, not that we need it, but shows you that the Bible is true. It can be tried and tested and proven. The word of God is forever settled in heaven. Notice, here's something about uh, this this darkness. Here's something about what uh, Felagon said. The the, the idea of it happening around this time. Remember, Jesus died at Passover when they brought the little lambs. And the idea of this was, when it comes to a Passover, because of where the moon was at the times when Passover was on, because of where the moon was at this time, it was what has been classed as impossible for there to be a solar or uh, eclipse. Impossible, it says. So to have them uh, to turn dark, or if it was a solar eclipse, the scribes are saying that this was an ever, even greater feat. Now listen, how did it happen? Of course it was extraordinary. Of course it was a greater feat. Because the God of the universe worked it all out. He worked it all out. The enemy was meaning it for evil. Getting rid of the Christ. Getting rid of the Messiah. Nailing him hand and foot to the tree. And that's what their plan and purpose was and is today. But listen, the Father moved heaven and earth to be able to prove his son is Messiah. I think it's fantastic. It is absolutely brilliant. Notice propitiation. Mercy seat. It really means the God's wrath is averted. In Jesus, God's wrath was averted from you and from me. Notice here that when we talk about the uh, God's wrath being averted, it wasn't brushed onto the carpet, by the way. Sin isn't forgetting it about it and God says well just let everybody get on as they are let them live in their sin and everything's okay no friend now listen the Bible doesn't say that and God's word is the manual for this life is the training ground for the life that is to come and we must live by the manual and we must know Emmanuel here God's wrath was averted from those who are trusting in the son and when he poured out his wrath on his son the fullness of of the penalty of our sin. Notice the fullness of the penalty of our sin. Not not most of it or some of it. We have to add to it or do a little bit with it. Or we have to go along and parallel good works to just make sure of it. No brother, no sister and definitely no friend. Listen, when God 
poured out his wrath on his son. His son took the fullness. He drank the dregs of the cup to the very uttermost drop. And he took it all that I and you who are in Christ, who are trusting in him uniquely, solely, only, totally and completely, unreservedly, that you and I, we will not have any wrath. We have been free from the guilt of sin and you and I are saved because he didn't come from the cross that he might save himself, but rather he stayed on the cross that we might be saved and the father poured the wrath his fullness of wrath upon his son. See tonight, even though I'm I'm, I'm not perfect, even though I feel many and I feel a lot, even though I'm still in a flesh and bone and blood body, and even though I'm imperfect, I know I'm saved because not of me, but because of Christ, because of what he has done, because of what he has accomplished, because he done it for me. Notice here, it is propitiation. Let's just look at a couple of verses of propitiation because time's flying. Romans chapter 3, please, if you'll just flick over. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, please. And that's right on down, if you will. The verse 10. Verse 10. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Brothers and sisters, here's a picture of you and I. Here, for example, is who you, who you and I are without Christ, without the blood. Now, I want you to stay with me. Just for a moment as we look at propitiation. Let your eye run down chapter 3, please. Let your eye run down chapter 3. And go right down to verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified freely. You know what justified is? Declared righteous. Let me put it like this, for we have all sinned, but I'm declared righteous freely by the grace of God and the redemption that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 25, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation, a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So here we're told that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. First John 2 and 2 tells us of this propitiation. First John 4 and 10 tells us that Christ is the propitiation. He's the mercy seat. And those that mercy seat on the ark that was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then the temple, those cherubim touching wing to wing, looking as it were down on the mercy seat as though they're looking into that ark of the covenant, they cannot comprehend or understand why those of us, you and I who are saved, how we have been born of the Spirit, how we're saved by grace, especially when the angels who left their first estate are kept in chains of darkness reserved under judgment forever. A glory in Christ. Glory in him. 
So notice here, the propitiation here is when the darkness was over the whole land. Then I want to look quickly at separation. Verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now you can write there, separation. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Of course, here he's, he's uh, speaking of Psalm 22 and verse 1. But notice here, this is separation. Why? Because God has forsaken him. What a mystery. The word forsaken here is a, a, a long word in catalipo. And it means to, to leave one helpless, to leave one in the lurch, to leave someone when the circumstances are against them. Hey, you ever have any fair weather friends? And they leave you when the circumstances are against you. Maybe they liked you when you were more popular with people, more popular with the crowd. And then when things didn't go as popular, you weren't liked again as much. You know, you, you, know, you, the, you get this sort of stuff. Even worse, Jesus felt like he was left in the lurch by his father. Separation. Let me just read these out for a time, but not uh, allow me just to keep going through all of these. For example, in Acts 2 and 27. Acts 2, Peter here rehearsing the words of David in the psalm. He, 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 Acts 2, 27, he says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He's looking at the resurrection, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I will not leave my soul in, in the grave or the region of the dead, you won't, you, you'll not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You know, Jesus was raised on the third day, isn't that right? The Bible tells us that we believe that. Do you know in the, in the time here where the Jews, they would have believed that, that uh, after three days going into the fourth, this is when corruption set into the body. Remember when Lazarus died and his sisters came, Lord, if I has been here, my brother not died and when he came he says show me the place where he is and, uh, and again paraphrasing and they said look but he's, he's dead four days already and by now he sticketh or he stinks dead four days and he stinks well you see that's when they believe that the corruption has set in here it's four days time he's died and jesus didn't see his body didn't see corruption because neither will they suffer thine holy one to see corruption because he was raised on the third day isn't that amazing? God's word's fantastic. Notice here, but thou will not leave my soul in hell. That is, you won't leave me in the region of the dead. In other words, Jesus knew that when he gave his life, his father would resurrect him from the dead. His father would raise him up again on the third day. Glory to God that he's alive forevermore. And notice here, another one is in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in verse 9, Paul is talking about his tribulations and his trials. And he says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's times we feel persecuted. But in Christ, we're not forsaken. Because he'll not leave us in the lurch. 
He won't leave us when circumstances are against us. So Paul is even saying, in my Christian walk, in my apostolic walk with the Lord, he says, we're persecuted, but we're not left in the lurch. We're persecuted, he says, but God has not left us when there's too much opposition against us. Glory to God. And of course, that would take me to Hebrews 13 and 5, when the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Notice here he's saying, I will never leave you when there's an opposition against you. See whatever comes against you in your personal life. See whatever comes against you in your Christian walk. See, no matter what the trial and the struggle is at this time, no matter how low and how down and how weak, how terrible, how carnal, how, how rotten you feel, I can tell you, you can think the worst and think, oh, I'm no good, better I weren't here because no one wants me. Listen, God loves you. God loves you. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's never going to leave you in the lurch. He won't leave you when there's too much opposition against you, even when all others run away and leave you. So notice this here again. Here we have forsaken. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 for this one point. Boy, time's flying, isn't it? Time's flying. I'll have to wrap up soon. Isaiah 59. And just let's look at verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Wherever you are, it's still not shortened that it can't reach you. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Pray, brother, sister, he hears you. No matter where you are, your car, your garden, your house, you're not going too far a night like that outside anyhow, in the minus, in the snow on the ground. But if you are, well, he hears you anyhow. Hears you in your heart and your mind. Hears you when you have no strength to pray. Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Notice, your sins have separated. That's where we were. Our sins had separated between us and God. Someone once said there not so long ago, again, an uh, ungodliness and uh, an ungodly person, they said, Where's God in all of this? Why does he not just lift this virus? Why does God not just lift us? Why does God not take this away from us? And really, what we should be thinking of is, well, is that the God you don't believe in? Is that the God you didn't want in the first place? Is it any wonder that these things are happening? That the devil, as it were, is having a field day? God has held us with straining power to let wicked people with wicked devices, wicked men get into place? God is God is allowing this, but listen, what they thought for evil, God means for the good. Because they think they're in control. All the the high-ranking Jewish banking family cartels and the Rothschilds and all those sort of people. And and you have all of the you know, all of these people in and big tech and big pharma, you know, and, and government. You, you have all of these people in place at the minute, especially using the United States, know what that's what's happening there at the moment. And, and all of this stuff is happening. It's happening in our land. And this left, liberal left, socialist, communist wing, Marxism taking over our nations, and we're finding it happening. Listen, the, it's not a, a president or a prime minister or a politician that we need. It's good to have godly men in government to make, try and make good decisions. I agree with that. But listen, it's not a president, a prime minister, or a politician we need. It's not a priest or a pastor or a pope that we need. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We need the gospel. We need the law of God back in our land. We need our governments to seek his face, to humble themselves in the sight of God. We need the church again to get on their knees and cry for mercy. That's what we need in these last days. That's what we need in these times. By the way, Genesis 49, when Jacob Israel says, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. I have waited for thy Yeshua, O O Yahweh. When he cried this in the middle of blessing his sons, he said this was to befall them in the latter years or the latter days. That's the days that we're in. This is the latter days. You and I are in it. And if we don't, as a church even, repent of our ways, repent of our sins, Repent of our laziness and our lethargy and our luxuries and all the things that all of us have got so used to and accustomed to. And our nation is being it's being sold out to wicked men in government, to wicked women there. It's being sold out to men and women who are off the devil, who are men and women who are making decisions to slaughter babies, kill the innocent in the womb. Abortion factories. And now the, the, the communist, Marxist, liberal leftists, they're getting us at were like the tail is wagging the dog. And the great British land has lost her teeth. And her bark is worse than her bite because she barks and she has no bite. And we, we, we're here as we're saying, what is next, O oh Lord? You know what's next? Humble thyselves. We need to humble ourselves under the hand of the almighty God. We need to cry for mercy. We need to, if my people will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. And we're forgetting these things. But listen, I've read the back of the book and we're on the winning side. We're on the winning team. Jesus is King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. He's conqueror over all. He's the governor of the nations and he's coming again. These are the groanings, the travails and the pangs. These are the signs of the times for the coming of the Lord draw nigh. Getting excited thinking about him. We were separated, but in Christ we're brought in. Separated from God. Let me do one more. Time's gone. Let me do one more and I'll close at this. I'll not do the rest. Let's read. One look at now reconciled. Separated, now reconciled. Verse 35. Mark 15 and verse 35. And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he called for Elias or Elijah. Strange this because Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, he was a prophet um, who went to King Ahab and Jezebel and so on. I find it strange they're calling him the king of Israel uh, in verse 32. And then they're saying he's calling for Elias or Elijah in verse 35 because you know he was the prophet to the ten tribe northern kingdom, not to the south. I just find that really strange. Anyway, there's an army study there some other time. Notice this. Verse 36. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on the reed and gave him the drink, saying... Let him alone, let us see whether Elias or Elijah will come down to take him. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Notice verse 38. Here's reconciliation. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That great massive structure 
on set on a hill as it were in Jerusalem of the temple and the veil is rent in twain from the top to the bottom not from the bottom to the top not as though men had got this large thick curtain and rent it in the holy of holies no 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 because it could have says men cut it up no it was rent from the top maybe nine stories high rent as though God had said it is finished when Christ paid our debt and he ripped as it were like a, a piece of paper it is finished and he ripped it and there it opened the way into the holy of holies and those curtains separated Israel from God. And here now Christ through the veil of his flesh has ascended into heaven for us. And you and I can go right into the presence of the Lord. He has made a way. He has reconciled us back to God. In other words, he's made two of us one. Brought the two houses together. Brought man, sinful man and God back together. He, re- he reconciled us back to God. In other words, when that temple... And the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. There was a holy of holies where only the high priest could go but once a year. This is a Passover now. Remember that. Jesus died. And there when the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. Now, I've done a teaching. You can look it up. I believe the site of the crucifixion is not Gordon's Calvary. And neither is it the Catholic one in the, 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 the church that's over there. But I believe that it is that Calvary is actually... Uh, the Mount of Olives. Um, I've done a teaching on it. Um, you can go and look that up. But he looked. Notice the Mount of Olives is on the east side. There's the temple. Here's the curtain. It's on the east side. The sun came up in the east, shining on the temple. On the east. So Jesus had to be further east. Mount of Olives on the east. Crucified in the east. Looking at the temple. The temple is rent in twain. And there we find that you and I are reconciled to God and Christ. Notice here as I close this, as I close this. In Romans chapter 5, we've already read how God had reconciled us, that Christ had came and died for us. Go for to 2 Corinthians 5, please. 2 Corinthians 5. I know this is long, but we'll we'll wrap this up and let you get on with your day. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for coming on. Romans, pardon me, 2 Corinthians 5. And let your eye run down to verse 18. I tell you what, let's go to verse 17. We all know this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We get, when we're saved, we get a new start. When we're saved, our pasts are forgiven. When we're saved, we're forgiven of all of the things we've done. We, are, we give a new start. We, he wipes the slate clean. We're a new creature in Christ, and we walk with him. Notice this, verse 18. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now notice, all things are of God. The reconciliation is not in the temple done away with that was the end of it the reconciliation was in the lord jesus christ the son of god the reconciliation here we find is all things are of god your salvation and mine is nothing to do with ourselves it's come from him it's done by him and it's only in him that we're saved so notice here all things are of god who hath reconciled us to himself by jesus christ 
and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry of reconciliation? The ministry of reconciliation is this. It is that you and I can go out and tell people about the Lord. That you and I can go and take the word of God here. That you and I can go out and take our Bibles and preach the word. And the governments are trying to stop it. And the governments are trying to shut us down. The governments are trying to close our mouths. And the governments are trying to, even on social media, they're trying to give us that whole politically correct thing where we have to say those things which are smooth words. Not, we're not allowed to say anything which might upset. We're not allowed to say anything which might be the truth, but, and they might know it, but they don't like it, so don't you say it. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is truth. This is truth. The truth hurts me sometimes. But the truth, it will set you free. And the truth will set men and women free from their sin. And when we tell them, listen, I know there's people and they, they talk and they tell, you know, give illustrations and tell stories. They have their place. But it's the word of God. It's the word of God which opens the heart of men and women and causes them to live when the spirit of God breathes on them and takes his own word. The one old Puritan says this about the word of God. He says that the Holy Spirit rides most furiously in his own chariot. I'm going to say it again. The Holy Spirit rides most furiously in his own chariot. What's the chariot of the Holy Ghost? The Word of God. That's the chariot of the Holy Ghost. It's also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we have a ministry of reconciliation where you can talk and you can have an authority according to this word. And you can say, listen, here's how you're saved. If not, you're lost without Christ. You're in your sin. Notice verse 19, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ. This is no mere man. This is no spiritual guru. This is no, you know, the world wants us to think that he might have been a real person. And if he really was uh, uh, real, uh, then he might have been some sort of real person. And he's maybe a, uh, some sort of religious warrior or something. I want to tell you. The Lord Jesus Christ was more than a prophet. The Lord Jesus Christ is Almighty God. I, I, don't, I don't make any bones about that. I, don't, I never apologize for that. To wit that God was in Christ. Notice reconciling the world unto himself. Notice not imputing their trespasses unto them. In other words, not adding up your sin. God could have added up your sin and my sin. Oh dear, what a mountain. It'd been higher than Everest if it was mine. I don't know what yours would be like. It'd be higher than Everest and back again and much more. Reach the stars. But God didn't impute. That means he takes them, counts them up, and he puts them on us. Rather, he didn't. He took them. He counted them up, as it were, and he placed them on his son on Calvary's tree. And he poured out the fullness of his own wrath on his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that someone who was innocent, our substitute, would die for us, and those of us who were guilty would be set free and given eternal life. I think it's fantastic. Notice, imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Notice here, so there is reconciliation. The temple curtain was split when that kept... Uh, when in the tabernacle and then in the temple in Jerusalem, it kept Israel and then the Jews, it kept them apart from God and only the high priest went once a year and we're told it's ripped open and it just opened right up. I wonder 
Whoever saw it, what they thought. What a disappointment. Because they thought God was there. God wasn't there. God was in a man. God was in his son. God was outside the city walls. God was in a lamb. God was hanging on a tree. God was crucified in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God was nailed hand and foot. God had a riven side. God had his back whipped and lashed like a ploughed field. God was battered and beaten and bruised in the person, the beautiful son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God wasn't in the temple. God was outside of the city and Jerusalem became the unholy city because they cast out the Son of God. They rejected him and they crucified him. So I'll finish with this. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know what this tells me? This tells me that I'm righteous in Christ. I'm righteous in Christ. As imperfect as I am, he has given me his righteousness. He has washed me in his blood. He has clothed me and he has covered me. Listen, and he fills me with the Holy Ghost. He's filled me with the Holy Spirit. Baptized me in the Holy Ghost. Remember one time when I was sitting in my living room. Oh, I don't know how many years ago it was. 20 odd years ago. Seeking God. And there he filled me with the Spirit of God. There he baptized me with the Holy Ghost and power. And I began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave me the utterance. And oh, that day God revealed and showed many things unto me. He just kept pouring it out of me and pouring it from me. Like rivers of living water. There it was filling, as it were, the whole room that I was sitting in. I'll never forget it. It was a day of blessing. And I've never been the same from I was saved. And I've never been the same from I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And listen, I can't ever be the same. You know why? Because I know Christ as my own. I know him as my saviour. So listen, the enemy may mean, the devil may mean, he may think things, think thoughts for your evil, for evil toward you, evil in our nation, evil in the world, evil in your home, evil against the church. But I want to tell you, but God will mean it and make it for the good. He's good. Your father is a good father. He's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. Listen, he's not stingy. He's generous. Ask him. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Seek his presence. Listen, seek the giver, not the gifts. Seek him and look, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. May God bless you. May God keep you. I trust that you have been encouraged or blessed or whatever with the word of God. And again, usually we're out. I, I don't like doing this face-to-face sort of stuff like this. But again, we're, we're, we're meant to be out in the snow outside and so on. And we've been kept in by the snow. 
But God willing, we'll be there next Sunday morning at 11 a.m. on 6 p.m. And we'd love you to come along and join us at Turkington's on the Martin Road in Portadown. Thank you. Listen, God bless us. Listen, pray for pray for those who are still in mourning, especially the Steele family and, and the McCulloch family and, and all of the, that family circle. We'll pray for them and those who are still tender after bereavement, the Richardsons and the Steeles and the Cummins family, all from our church. Church, pray for them. And there's others, you know, there's just so many. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would take your word and that you would inscribe it in all of our hearts, that you would imprint it upon all of our minds. In a world of darkness, Christ is our light. In a world of death, Christ is our life. And we thank you for the blood that he shed for us. Cover us and, Lord, clean us and wash us and purge us anew. And, oh, God, we pray for those that are watching, will you bless them? Father, Lord, for those who are seeking you for a miracle, Lord, will you answer their prayer? Those that are seeking you for healing, would you reach out and touch them? But think of those who are in hospital at this time, Lord, that you would bless them and that you would encourage them greatly. Father, we pray, Lord, for those that are in mourning, that you would comfort them and, Lord, that you would draw close onto them. But, Father, we pray, Lord, if for some not saved, Lord, it even comes across this, would you save them? Would you awaken them? Would you regenerate them? Would you show them the Christ of God who bore away their sin and draw them, Lord, by your Spirit? Father, I pray. Lord, that if someone here, Lord, has been watching this now, live or later, Lord, who, who are looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we pray, O oh God, that you would come in power. And Lord, they, may they realize the nearness and the power of the Holy Ghost. And we pray, Lord, you'd come on them in a mighty way. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would empower them, endue them and gift them with the gifts of their spirit. And Lord, may we hear, Lord, good news and glad tidings. Father, we'll love you because you first loved us and we'll love your son and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. So glorify his name, glorify your name in our lives and in our nations, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Listen, if God's been speaking to you, we'd love you to put a wee line in and let us know that you've been blessed or whatever. God bless you.